Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Tom Horn continues revealing America's secret destiny. And then a little later, Josh Davis will have a moment of prophecy. April is almost here. Next month, Southwest Radio Ministries and Watchmen on the Wall will celebrate 90 years of proclaiming the truth that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. The entire month of April, we'll have special programs from our radio vault, exciting announcements about the future of the ministry, and a unique and very special opportunity to support the ongoing work of SWRC. Please, friends, be in prayer as we prepare to celebrate God's faithfulness for the past 90 years and prepare to continue to meet the mission of bringing clarity to the chaos. Now, here's Pastor Larry Spargimino and Tom Horn with part two of their discussion revealing America's secret destiny. We are back with Dr. Tom Horn. We've been thinking of how America's population is being homogenized to create a notion and a nation of assimilated devotees who will embrace the Antichrist, and that is right before us. Thank you, Dr. Tom Horn, for being back with us. Well, thank you for having me on, Larry. Tom, you say that all of this that we've been talking about was set in motion by some of the Freemason founding fathers of America. How so? Let me explain some history regarding the signing of the Declaration of Independence and the authors of that historic document. You had John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and then Benjamin Franklin. And within one day of July 4, 1776, these three men were assigned the task of serving what today we would call a steering committee, if you will, regarding the Great Seal's design, what it should ultimately communicate about the establishment of this nation, its objectives, and Manly P. Hall's term, its destiny. First, though, you've got to get in the head of these men and what was driving them and why they would have chosen such obscure imagery. John Adams was America's third president. He was a close friend of Thomas Jefferson's, too. But what many don't know is that Adams had actually rejected the Christianity of his parents and hated the doctrine of the Trinity hated the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ and other foundational truths of Christianity, wrote about it. Worse than Adams, though, was the second member of the Great Seal Triad, Thomas Jefferson. I know, right? Beloved founder of our nation. But along with Thomas Paine, who also wrote that Jesus was a blasphemous fable and that the Bible was scarcely anything but a history of the grossest vices and a collection of the most paltry and contemptible tales. Those are actually his words. Jefferson, his pal, said this about the book of Revelation in a letter to General Alexander Smith, dated January 17, 1825, quote, It is between 50 and 60 years since I read it, and I then considered it as merely the ravings of a lunatic, a maniac, no more worthy nor capable of explanation than the incoherence of our nightly dreams, end quote. Now, through the rest of that letter, Jefferson made it very clear to the general that he had not repented of his formerly held view, and he believed that the chronicle of Jesus, as depicted in the Bible, was actually an unmitigated fraud. Here's what he said in another letter to William Short, dated October 1, 1819, quote, 
the greatest of all the reformers of the depraved religion of his own country was Jesus of Nazareth, abstracting what is reality from the rubbish in which it is buried, talking about the Bible, easily distinguished by its luster from the dress of the biographers and as separate from that as the diamond from the dunghill, end quote. Now that passage describes the approach that Jefferson took in writing his so-called Jefferson Bible, what he claimed he was doing when he attempted to cut out Bible verses and then tape the Bible back together to form his own version, to separate the true sayings of Jesus, he said, from the things he believed had been added to the gospel accounts. For example, in a letter to John Adams, he wrote, quote, In the New Testament, there is internal evidence that parts of it have proceeded from an extraordinary man and that other parts of the fabric of very inferior minds. It is as easy to separate those parts as to pick out diamonds from the dunghill, which is a quote he had also made earlier. So when you read, like, the Jefferson Bible, it becomes very clear what Jefferson was referring to when he mentioned dunghills, because he specifically took a pair of scissors and a razor blade, and he cut out evidence of the divinity and a messianic assignment of Jesus from Scripture, including the virgin birth, the miracles of Christ, the Lord's resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and even the prophecies of his return. Because the Bible deals with the second coming of Jesus and the arrival of Antichrist, he took the entire book of Revelation and omitted it from the so-called Jefferson Bible. Those were among the things that he considered to be from inferior minds forming dunghills. Concerning the Lord Jesus himself, Jefferson wrote in another letter, quote, among the sayings and discourses imputed to him by his biographers, meaning the authors of the Bible, I find many passages of fine imagination, correct morality, and the most lovely benevolence, and others, again, of so much ignorance, so much absurdity, so much untruth, charlatanism, and imposture. I separate, therefore, the gold from the dross, and leave the latter to the stupidity of some, and roguery of others of his disciples. Of this band of dupes and impostors, Paul was the first corruption of the doctrines of Jesus, end quote. So you can see that the guiding beliefs mentality of these three designers of the Declaration of Independence were absolutely hostile to the true Christian faith. And then there was Benjamin Franklin. He was one of the most influential founding fathers. He was without question deeply involved, however, in Freemasonry and other secret societies. He belonged to secret groups in three countries, involved in the War of Independence, America, France, and England. He was master of the Masonic Lodge of Philadelphia. While he was in France, he was master of the Nine Sisters Lodge, from which sprang the French Revolution. In England, he joined a rackish political group founded by Sir Francis Dashwood, known as the Hellfire Club, that regularly met to mock traditional religion and to conduct orgies. However, it could have been a lot darker than that because on February 11, 1998, the Sunday Times reported that 10 bodies had been dug up from beneath Benjamin Franklin's home. These were adults and children as well as animals. Most of those bones, by the way, showed signs of having been dissected, sawn, cut, drilled into, and then burned with fire. Later reports from the Benjamin Franklin house revealed that not only were human remains found, but also animals as well. All of these appeared to have been 
burnt up as if by fire. And, of course, needless to say, that evidence caused a number of researchers to suggest that Franklin's involvement with the Hellfire Club may have also been connected with the Satanists performing ritual killings of both humans and animals. In Unraveling the Secret Destiny of America, people are going to learn that in a whole lot more detail about the Founding Fathers and where they were coming from. Well, friends, you will want your own copy of The Secret Destiny of America Revealed. This is a DVD video. Our toll-free number is 1-800-652-1144. It discusses a variety of red-button topics, such as the surprising meaning of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's names and destiny. 1-800-652-1144. Now, Tom... Were there more than these three signers of the Declaration of Independence and designers of the Great Seal who were committed to an elaborate secret destiny for America? Really as many as 44 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons. But in addition to that, numerous U.S. presidents were part of the craft as well, including Washington, Monroe, Jackson, Polk, Buchanan, uh, A. Johnson, Garfield, McKinley, Theodore Roosevelt, Taft, Harding, Roosevelt, Truman, L.B. Johnson, Ford. I mean, the list is (laughs) extensive, right? There were also friends of the order, such as Paul Revere, Edmund Burke, John Hancock, and many, many more. Now, also in addition to the Great Seal, the question of whether the Order of Freemasons engineered the entire United States capital city named after America's first president, according to an occult grand design. And that is something that a growing body of historians are coming around to and admitting, including Freemason experts. David Ovison, he became a Mason after writing The Secret Architecture of Our Nation's Capital, the Masons in the Building of Washington, D.C. And he is respected worldwide as an authority on the subject of the design of Washington, D.C. And he argues very effectively, I've read his book cover to cover a couple of times, but he argues that the city's layout intentionally incorporated the esoteric belief system of Freemasonry, especially as it involved astrologically aligning the capital with the constellation Virgo, which is Isis, which is very important in terms of future prophecy. 1793, when George Washington sanctioned the laying of the Capitol building's cornerstone, he comes out wearing a Masonic apron emblazoned with the Brotherhood's symbols. And for Ovison, as well as, first of all, Manly P. Hall, they thought that made perfect sense. Was Francis Bacon's vision of the new Atlantis Hall asked? a prophetic dream of the great civilization, which was so soon to rise upon the soil of the new world. That's from his secret teachings of all ages. He says it cannot be doubted that the secret societies conspired to establish such upon the American continent. So Hall's New Atlantis reference was based on a utopian scheme that the European secret societies of the 16 and 1700s were infatuated with wherein an occult democracy would be established based on men participating with ancient Greco-Roman gods to earn their favor, their protection, their power, the establishment of a government dedicated to their second coming at the dawn of the new golden age. So the new Atlantis was this idea that Atlantis really did exist, 
and that as long as that Atlantean society gave homage to the gods and paid tribute to the Roman gods and later the Greek gods, as long as they did that, well, then they flourished. They were blessed by the gods. They were in harmony with the gods. They worked in tandem with them for the establishment of their great culture. But then, when they started forgetting about the gods, then the gods allowed Atlantis to sink between the waters of the sea and to be destroyed. And so the idea of the European New Atlantis was that here in America, they could fulfill their occult scheme. It was too late to try to do this in Europe and other countries around the world where their governments had been so firmly established. But now they're looking to America, this new land, this new place of discovery, ripe for them to be able to come in and to establish this whole idea that we're going to develop an occult democracy that will work in tandem with the gods. And what's amazing is like when you go inside the U.S. Capitol Dome and you stand and look up at the apotheosis of Washington, which means to become a god. And George Washington is rising up into the heavens and becoming a god. But if you look around him, all of the artwork shows that the founders of this country are working in tandem with the pagan gods to develop the railroad, the transcontinental technology for communication. It shows them working with the gods and the gods helping them to do all these things. So it's literally hidden right there in plain sight, right in front of our eyes, what they were trying to do. And of course, to the extent that they actually did accomplish the historical incidents in the early development of the United States Mm. that bore the influence, Paul wrote, of that secret body which has so long guided the destinies of peoples and religion. By them, nations are created as vehicles for the promulgation of ideas, and while nations are true to those ideas, they survive. When they vary from them, they vanish like the Atlantis of old, which had ceased to know the gods, end quote. So that plan has been there since the dawn of American history. Well, you say the Great Seal tells a, quote, biblically prophetic tale. What do you mean by that? Besides the origin of the Latin mottos of the Great Seal being derived from Apollinian prophecies, prophecies of Apollo forecasting his second coming under the super-sovereignty of Jupiter-Saturn, when you look at the front side of the Great Seal, you're stricken with the redundancy of the number 13. 13 leaves on the olive branch, 13 bars and stripes, 13 arrows in the eagle's claw, and so on. And then that pattern continues on the reverse side of the 13 levels in the uncapped pyramid, 13 letters in Anahuac Coeptus, and so on. It was Albert Pike, famous Freemason, who revealed Freemasonry's two sets of meaning behind such symbols. In this case, the superficial translation for the blue degree Freemasonry's and the laity, the profane, that's me and you according to them, you can assert that the number 13 refers to the original 13 colonies or states. However, the higher degrees, the 33rd degrees, are made to understand that the 33rd degree masonry is that the mystical number 13 reflects the parts of Osiris that Isis was able to find after he was murdered by his evil brother, Set. Now, I've written several books. Some of this, we go into it on the DVD you're offering, but it points out that the vast majority of people, when looking at these symbols, and at Washington, D.C., and at the Vatican, they never comprehend how those cities constitute one of the greatest open conspiracies of all time, Mm. because reproduced there in all their glory and right before the world's eyes is this ancient talismanic diagram based on the history and the cult 
of Isis, Osiris, Horus, including the magical utilities that would be meant to generate the deity's return. When you look at Washington, D.C., you see the same layout as was patterned in antiquity in all of the places where Osiris was shown to be the god of death and resurrection. He was brought into and became incarnate within the reigning pharaoh in every generation. And that was done through certain utilities which employed the dome, which we have in Washington, D.C., and the giant obelisk, which we have in Washington, D.C. You have the same at the Vatican City, too. Those are archaic symbols that represent the ever-pregnant belly of Isis, the dome, and then the upright shaft of the god Osiris, Apollo, and a whole series of magical rituals, which I explain in the DVD, explain exactly how that happened in antiquity, but also how it happens today in the inauguration of every American president. Outstanding information and insight from Tom Horn. The past two days with Tom Horn are available on CD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Today in our Resource Center, we're featuring Tom Horn's brand new DVD documentary entitled The Secret Destiny of America Revealed. This two-hour documentary featuring Dr. Tom Horn reveals who the God on America's Great Seal and U.S. $1 bill really is, why 72 pentagrams in the Capitol Dome are used to control the ancient cosmocrators who rule the nations, and also the coming incarnation of Antichrist and much, much more. Order your copy of the DVD documentary, The Secret Destiny of America Revealed, when you call 1-800-652-1144 or visit our website, swrc.com. Staff Evangelist Josh Davis comes now to share today's Moment of Prophecy. Three visually impressive structures have risen out of the Middle Eastern desert. On March 1st, the doors to the Abrahamic Family House, also called the One World Religion Headquarters, officially opened in Abu Dhabi. This property includes a Muslim mosque, a Jewish synagogue, and a Roman Catholic church. And this destination is designed to allow people of any faith or perhaps of no faith to have a space to come together, to worship, to fellowship, to reflect. And that may sound desirably harmonic until we examine what has to be given up in order to come together as one. Revelation 13 describes the world coming together as one in worship during the Great Tribulation period. And the opening of this property brings us ever closer to that reality than ever before. And I find it very chilling to consider that the Antichrist could stand upon the grounds of this very property as he proclaims his devilish agenda to unite the world in worship. And I've often wondered, how will people fall for this kind of a scheme during the Great Tribulation period? Well, friends, the world is being primed to think this way right now. How is that taking place? I want to point out three core values of one world worship that we see taking place and happening in our world today. The first is one world worship will emphasize a works-based spiritual system. So in the name of kindness and inclusivity, 
doctrine is downgraded and good works are elevated. So the message becomes something like peace on earth will only be a reality when we learn to set aside our differences and work together for our global family. And this kind of a statement really divorces truth from righteousness. But is that possible to separate truth from righteousness? The Bible answers emphatically, absolutely not. Isaiah 59 verse 14 reveals, And judgment is turned away backward, justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. I find it very interesting that the word translated here, equity, literally means straight. So when God's absolute truth is rejected, so too is justice, righteousness, and equity. Think about the idea of this word meaning straight. C.S. Lewis famously argued in his classic book, Mere Christianity, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. The quest for peace and justice and righteousness without absolute truth is a dead end, folks. How can any spiritual work be called, quote-unquote, good without God's absolute standard of truth and goodness? For instance, how could we say that murder is wrong without having a standard outside of ourselves to establish that truth? Humanity's insistence to create good in our own eyes, even when it goes directly against God's standard, is as old as Adam and Eve. God specifically warned Adam not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in Genesis 2.17. And by the time we reach Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, Eve saw the tree of knowledge and good and evil as, quote, good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was a tree desired to make one wise, end quote. Adam and Eve decided to call good what God had warned them to avoid altogether. They thought that they were making a wise decision in following their heart, but they soon realized how foolishly sinful their thoughts were. Those sinful thoughts created sinful desires, sinful passions, which turned or produced sinful actions. So as the one world spirituality approaches, we see the same old trap being set. Secondly, we see that one world worship emphasizes a human-centered worship. Adam and Eve decided to become their own standard for right and wrong. So in so doing, they shifted the center of morality from God to themselves. And this attitude has plagued humanity ever since. Even among church-going Christians, there's a temptation to seek out worship that focuses on us instead of on God. And this is one of the subtle pitfalls of much of the modern church growth movement. Anything that centers worship on humanity instead of God is thoroughly unbiblical. Please don't forget that. The one world worship system promotes self as a center of worship. They preach, follow your heart, find your truth. But they're stepping into the same old trap. The third way that we see these things taking place in our day is that one world worship 
emphasizes spirituality over religion. And I want to unpack what that means. Modern humanity is much more willing to identify as spiritual than religious. Religion implies you want to differentiate yourself from others, but spirituality implies you want to embrace some kind of a vague higher power without any of the quote-unquote religious baggage. So this attitude has really won the hearts of many people, but it is another trap. And to be sure, humanity has committed atrocious and ungodly actions in the name of religion. Merely being religious has never and never will make you right with God. However, that's not the central issue at hand. Claiming to be spiritual is a modern effort to escape absolute truth. The spiritualist says, well, if Christian spirituality works for you, great. If Judaism works for you, great. If Islam works for you, great. If agnosticism works for you, great. As you do you, we will all get along in peaceful harmony. This kind of thinking is postmodern pragmatism. It's led to the building of this Abrahamic family house in Abu Dhabi. People the world over are willing to spend untold millions of dollars to invest in this harmful philosophy. Anyone who claims to know the truth is labeled as narrow-minded. However, truth is always narrow. Truth is always exclusive. Let me give you a simple illustration of this. What is 4 plus 4? This is not a trick question. I'm not trying to trip you up. What's 4 plus 4? Can I make up any answer that I want and still be correct? Can I determine this truth for myself? Is it any other number other than 8? Certainly not. Truth is narrow, and truth excludes all other wrong answers. So the one world worship system wants Christianity minus Christ. But Christianity minus Christ equals nothing. If Jesus is not God, the New Testament and the church would not exist. If Jesus is not God, he is not worthy of our worship. If he is God, he alone is worthy of worship as God. Either he is the way, the truth, and the life, or he is not. Let's stop pretending that there is another option. The Antichrist will use these one-world worship core values to gain the allegiance of the world. The opening of the Abrahamic family house in Abu Dhabi advances this agenda as our world draws closer to the end times with each passing day. Let me end with a question. Is your life aligned with Jesus Christ or the Antichrist? You can join the winning side by turning to Jesus Christ in faith today. Today in the Resource Center, we're featuring Tom Horn's brand new DVD documentary, The Secret Destiny of America Revealed. This two-hour documentary reveals who the God of America's Great Seal and U.S. $1 bill really is, and much, much more. Order your copy of The Secret Destiny of America Revealed when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or visit our website, swrc.com. 
Tomorrow, Pastor Larry looks closely at the Millennial Temple of Ezekiel. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.